0: Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 263. And I'm in New Mexico. I'm so happy to be here. I'm in Santa Fe at the moment, and New Mexico is beautiful. The other day we went to see the sunset at White Rock, which is so beautiful. Like when it sets, it lights up the mountains in your background. In this like purple hue, and there's still snow on the mountains. And in your foreground, there's a river, and there's desert, and there's a valley. There's just so much to see and to take in. We went to the Bandelier National Monument, which has uh, petroglyphs that are preserved on the sides of the mountain. We went to this thing called the the House of Eternal Return at Meow Wolf, and it's 70 different rooms within this art installation. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. It's so psychedelic and trippy. and I, It must have taken so much time to do. We've eaten tamales and enchiladas and red chili and green chili. We're packing it all in. I'm so excited to be back on the road. And this is the first of multiple episodes that I'll have from New Mexico. And this one is with Lois Ellen Frank and Chef Walter Whitewater. They have really successful and storied careers, so it's hard to do a, a summary of their bio. I'll read a little bit uh, f- about Lois from her bio on the website. Uh, but she's a PhD, and it says uh, Dr. Frank has spent over 30 years documenting food and life ways of Native American tribes from the Southwest. This lengthy immersion in Native American communities culminated in her book, Foods of the Southwest Indian Nations, featuring traditional and contemporary recipes. So she is a chef, she's an author, she is an historian, and Walter is many of those things as well. He's from Arizona originally, he is of the Navajo Nation, and he's been a chef since the 90s, in New Mexico, uh, he also has cookbooks. And alongside Lois, uh, Walter has helped to form Red Mesa Cuisine. And what they do is they educate people and they do classes, they do online programs and live streams and videos. They're really doing important work in preserving the cuisine of the Southwest and the traditional food ways and techniques of Native American communities. I was so excited to talk to them because I've had people represent food from all around the world on this podcast, but I haven't had anybody talk about indigenous foodways, and they are the foremost authority on this. They're doing really great work in educating people, and um, I've you know I was so honored to get to meet them. As I've been so fortunate all around the world, I got to sit down with them and I had a delicious breakfast. Uh, they told me all about New Mexico. And you're going to hear a song at the very end of our conversation, which was so beautiful. And I was very fortunate to be able to be there as they played that for me. I think in like the first 15 minutes, I was trying to get sound right. Uh, So if it's kind of up and down a bit, I apologize about that. But after about the 15, 16 minute mark, it'll level out and sound perfect. Or you won't hear it at all because the wizard is really good at making the audio sound great. All right. So much cool stuff to talk about in this conversation. Really great food here in New Mexico. So I'm excited to kick off a series of episodes from New Mexico with Lois Ellen Frank Let's and Walter go. Whitewater. Enjoy it.
1: Come on.
0: Okay, well, first of all, I have to say thank you again for having me here. First of all, for saying yes. That was kind to begin with. But to, to have me here in your space which is amazing, and to have a meal with you, which I've been so fortunate to do like all around the world, uh, I'm really grateful for it. So thank you so much uh, to both of you for doing this.
2: You're welcome. It's a pleasure to meet you and I'll be together. Uh, you both
0: have done a lot of work over a long period of time, and you're quite credentialed. Um, so it's probably difficult to be like, hey, what do you do and what have you done? But maybe we can put uh, a, a name and a quick story to a voice if if you're able to give like a quick bio maybe. <coughs> mm-hmm. Well,
1: I'm going to tell a little portion of uh, what I do. My name is Walter Whitewater. Um, that means, um, I guess, the translate would be the, the people and the, uh, from the Western world, they call us Navajo. Navajo, Navajo. but anyway, um, so I um, always have problems with, um, when a time like this, at the same time, the second language comes into my head, then mm-hmm. at the same time, my native side comes in, combining together, it, it takes me time to kind of figure things out, what, to approach and what, you know, the way it is. And just, even with cooking. So that's something that I, um, that I'll, I'll be doing, you know, talking about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that and, and that's okay. We'll, we'll work through that together. Um, but are, so you're from Arizona originally, Walter? Originally from Arizona, yeah.
1: And then born and raised there, then uh, raised off the reservation by non-Native family. And then, uh, <clears throat> You know, when that happens, you, you forget, right, you know? Certain things that you, the language, the culture, then you go back and you try to relearn the certain ways. I think in a native view, is like, most um, native people, they hunt, they do men's work and stuff like that. And mm. then the, the food-wise, that, that's where the, the woman does the, mm. the cooking and all that. But... Part of my life was, I was raised in that way, then part of how I was raised off the reservation was like, it's okay to combine those two together. Hmm. It took me a while to understand that because the cultures always seem to separate from the the Western and the, the native way. <clears throat> and so that's how I, I grew up, and I, I chose what works for me and, I think the the Western world, that, that, because the other part I live that you know, mm. I live in my culture, and then combining two together, it makes it work. That's when I kind of come. Um, do, when those two comes comes together, it seems like, okay, how
0: am I going to say this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, I, I I get stuck. Was there a particular? point in your life where you were sort of rediscovering then like your your native roots and culture and cooking?
1: Yeah you know the um how the cooking was like to me I watch at the ceremony I watch you know I always hang out with grandma you know grandma Mm. grandma Susie that I think she's the one that really launched me to where being as a kid raising in that in that way of life I guess being as a man they want you to be tough, whatever it is, a hunter, a warrior. But on the other hand, and I started to change because, you know, on the reservation, you, your next door neighbor is about probably like two or three miles away, mm. maybe sometimes four. So you ride your horse, spend a the night there with your dog, and, you know, hey, we spend a the night there, and the next day you, you, you come home, or sometime might be two days, you hang out with, and you start learning to, because... I have to remember, I was not raised on the reservation like my buddies did. I was off the reservation to relearning the mm. the ways of um, what I'm doing. And one day, a man told me, he made a, um, um, a tea early in the morning, maybe like four or five in the morning. We're drinking this native tea. And I said, like, wow, I said, I remember way back, I remember drinking this tea. And but then he was making this commodity food for his kids' breakfast. And him and I were talking as a kid, you know. He said, Is that your horse? You know, is that your dog? I said, Yeah, you know. And so that's how I hang out with these kids, my cousins. Yeah. And that's how I relearned. That made the door open for me. It's mm. okay to touch the food, cook with the women's and with with the, um, you know, whatever is happening, he made the door open for me. And it was okay to do it. And then, oh man, he used to cook what he did for his kids. That made it was like, it was okay to do this.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: So that's when I start going in that direction, you know, like what I remember is like, I always like get magazines, I always try to copy using commodity food, you know. Because that's what people got on the reservation back then, back in the days. And the only time I got to see, there are two different things I got to see, that, the government ration, and the native food, two together. The only time I really got to see that the native food was during the ceremonial ways, preparing how they were being made. That's when I realized there's a two different ways of going about things. And the other one is... Just natural food, you know, not adding into that. Then the later, the other one, the, the government ration has sugar and lard and flour, whatever it is that's in it. So there was a two different, but I, I always try to copy a picture from a book if I can do that. You know, you just, you, you, at the time I didn't know that was the direction that I,
0: I, I would be going and just something that I, that I learned. There's a lot in there that I'm going to come back to. Um, I also want to to hear sort of uh, your, uh, your short bio, uh, Lois. That would be great.
2: So uh, my name is Lois Ellen Frank, and uh, I am a chef in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I have <clears throat> a small company that I work uh, with, uh, Walter Whitewater, um, called Red Mesa Cuisine, and we specialize in indigenous foods and cultural education. And uh, my background is I'm uh, Northern European and Native American on my mom's side and Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jewish on my dad's side. So I grew up uh, multi-ethnic and multicultural and uh, really trying to embrace all the ancestral parts of who I am, I grew up with my dad's side of the family uh, on Long Island in New York, and uh, my grandma came over uh, through Ellis Island as did my grandpa on my dad's side and so my dad was first generation and so um it was uh you know interesting to see how life was with that mindset. And um, I have a PhD in culinary anthropology from the University of New Mexico. My uh, doctoral dissertation is the discourse and practice of Native American cuisine, Native American chefs and Native American cooks in contemporary Southwest kitchens. So I spent uh, a little over 11 years uh, researching and working with cooks and chefs uh, here in the southwest and uh, Walter and I've been working together since the 1990s we actually met at a ceremony my girlfriend's daughter was going through coming of age ceremony she's Apache and it was called sunrise dance and his uncle was dating my girlfriend and so we both went to help with that ceremony me with the food and him with like the wood and know, it's a a rigorous ceremony, four days and four nights. And so we've been uh, working together for many, many years, and we've traveled all over the world. Uh, We work with um, Native communities all over the United States. A big focus of ours is using ancestral foods for health and wellness, Uh, reversing type 2 diabetes, reversing obesity, reversing heart disease with, with this healthy simple clean ancestral diet and then we also work with the uh, U.S. State Department as part of uh, culinary diplomacy and we've been to many countries uh, as part of that program and we work with doctors and nurse practitioners and we work with the New Mexico Department of Health That's going to be our client tomorrow. We're going to do a virtual training on how to take fresh herbs and dry them for flavor Uh. So sometimes very simple things if you're not taught as a cook, uh, then you don't know how to incorporate that. So we do very clean, very simple uh, food uh, education and trainings. And uh, we're really big on local food, native source foods. And uh, I think we both love what we do. We're very passionate about food and and really implementing uh, food as a medicine, food Mm -hmm. as a metaphor for, for healing. One of the nurses we work with says pharmacy, but she spells it F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. And so we're really big on using ingredients for health awareness.
0: I think a good maybe lens to look at through some of the questions that I'm going to ask you is your book, uh, Foods of the Southwest Indian Nations. I first want to sort of qualify this by, by asking uh, the terminology I should use so that I don't sound entirely misinformed. If I'm saying indigenous or Native American or American Indian, um, what would I be correct in saying?
2: All, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So some people identify as being American Indian. Some people identify as being Native American. I think it's up to each uh, community. Some people like to refer to tribes. Some people, uh, nations. Some people, pueblos. So there is no one size fits all here. There really is about uh, letting each community define who they are in their own words.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, So this is interesting to me because this is a part of the country that is entirely multicultural if you look at the history of the region. Um, In terms of indigenous people, uh, Mexican people, Spanish colonists, Americans, so when we're talking about foods of the Southwest Indian nations, uh, also because there are different Indian nations, whose food are we talking about?
2: The uh, so there's 19 pueblos here in New Mexico, and there's pueblos in Arizona as well as tribes. Uh, there's the Navajo Nation, who's probably the biggest tribe in Arizona. Is that correct, mm-hmm. Walter? Yeah. Um, And then, you know, because of Santa Fe's proximity, it also attracts a lot of tribes that maybe this wasn't their ancestral homeland, Mm. but they've settled here because uh, um, being native is more revered than in other parts of the country. It's respected. It's honored. There's a lot of art, a lot of culture here, and, um, you know, in some other parts of the country— uh, it's not as prevalent. So you see a lot of other tribes uh, settling or being, you know, sort of inter-tribal, I guess.
0: <laughs> so then in the work that you've done, have you found commonalities in, like, ingredients, techniques, cuisine between different Native groups? Or are you looking at, uh, like, distinct techniques and... and- and culinary cuisine.
2: Well, uh, I always uh, Walter and I like to use. We have a foundation. What we call the Magic Eight, mm. and the Magic Eight is eight foods that originated in the Americas um, that were given to the rest of the world. So they didn't exist anywhere outside the Americas until after 1492, and that would include corn, beans, and squash, which is also known as the Three Sisters. Uh, chilies, tomatoes, potatoes, and then vanilla and cacao. And that actually is the foundation for the next book that we're working on. Uh, and I still like the Magic 8 as the title, but we're, we're uh, sort of working with the publishers on that, Walter and I are, uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because publishers have their view and then we have ours. So we, we have to stand up a little and fight for the Magic 8. I like that, but anyway. Uh, you want to add anything to that? Well, to me. Bought them wild game, right?
1: Yeah, to me it is like, um, <clears throat> you know, th- th- let's go back to this other part, um, the first one that you asked questions on. In Santa Fe, you know, this is where all the people come to. It's not only the, the people, it's not only the land, you know, it's the food, the culture, and brings, it brings all the different tribes together. And then I believe that's where it grows. How the food, combining two together in the four corners, you know, mm. in that in that sense, and that's how um, Lois th- that I, I that she did a first book, and it was based on that. It's like a cycle. What during the winter time, what people ate, you know, springtime, summer, you know, fall, it changes, and and and, and I think. Something that you're not was not born into it. You know, some you know, as a as a human, something will strike you. You know, as the culture, it's not only the culture; it goes into the food, the clothing, and how what's happening in this life, and and that's how I I see that. That was the first question that brings. it, It makes a. A native as a as a na- an in a native world that doesn't see colors. Mm. It doesn't, we don't say you're this tribe or whatever it is. you know, food is to bring us who we are as a human, as a person that comes to the table and that we eat together and share, and whatever it is, you know, and that's for me, that's the way i I look at it, I just kind of living the way
2: he brings up a really good point in that we're very inclusive, you know, um. I think one of our philosophies is that there's room at the table for all colors of people, and you know we always use the metaphor, you know, the the the, the medicine wheel and, and the four colors of corn, and the four colors of peoples on this earth, and you know a lot of people call this Earth Turtle Island, and that there's room for everybody, mm-hmm. that everybody can participate, and everybody can be a part of the circle and, and in order for us, because we only have one earth, we only have one turtle island, in order for us to, to sustain, we do need all the colors. Mm. And food does bring us together. Food is, is the one thing that uh, we all share. We might not share the same language or the same religion or the same tribe or the same ethnicity or the same ancestral anything, but we, we do all share the need as a human uh, one of the medicine people we work with says, "Earth People." You know, as Earth people, we all share food. And so what we do is centered around that.
1: Mm-hmm. What was the question that you were he was asking?
2: about uh, the ingredients? about the ingredients. Yeah.
1: yeah, you know it's it's what grows around where you at. You know here, you know you see you might just see see this cedar tree, but there's food in it. You know, a lot of people just say, oh, it's the corn. It's the corn, whatever it is. It's more than just a food. It's the medicine. It's how it's being used, you know. It heals. And just something that um, um, when people has a rash, they put the pollen on and wrap it. It sucks all that poison out. Then there's no There's no, they don't itch anymore, anything like that. You know, they're healed. So there's, that's why I always call food is our medicine, and and just something that our medicine people use it in that way. Mm. And we use it for prayer. We use it for our offering before we take whatever it is an animal, take an animal down and or putting pulling the plants, you know, and we always leave things behind. And, you know, you see a lot of cactus iron here. We survive on that back, back in the days. To this day, we're bringing it back to the table. Like Lois just talked about, all colors. We're op- it's open to anyone can have that anyone can. What I love about when we start doing way back, you never see non-Native um, cooking Native food. But today in a restaurant, um, non-Native chef cooks Native food. So that's, that rings a bell for me to where it's like, wow, I guess we, um, the elders, you know, the, the people before us, that, but we made it, we add add on into it to make it what it is, go further with it, you know. And just something that I, did
0: I see like that. So then is part of your work educating people about that? Because what you're referring to is food first as a way to remain healthy, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of like pre-pharmaceutical industry, mm-hmm. right? Because if people, if people are unhealthy, you can sort of, you can sell them the cure. But what you're talking about is, hey, there's something that's plentiful of the earth already and anybody with the knowledge and know-how can maybe use this for a healthy lifestyle. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you see that as part of your mission It's to like educate people about uh, like the healthy food ways of indigenous cultures?
1: Yeah, Oh, yeah, you know we have to pass it down to to young to younger generation, and what's happening, uh, you know who knows what they put on in the field, and it goes into our water, it goes into the land. so that's why the elders always tell us, hang on to your to your culture, the seeds is the most important thing that you can survive on. Let my people, the Navajo people. One day they, before they, they took that walk, the long walk to the Fort Sumner. So back home, maybe one of these days, I want to take Lois there and to show her. You know, when you see it, then you understand more. There's two different things, looking at it, being there, and talking about it. You just, okay, you know, it's like, but when you see it, when you go into this tiny little thing, that's where they kept the seeds. Before they took that march, before they everybody's, pushing off off their land, so the elders said, you know what, some of you may, may come back from the Fort Sumner, maybe some of you not, if some of you do, they're like these potteries here, there are seeds in there, they're sealed with mud and kept in there, so they save all these seeds, and four years went by, and the one that made it back, they knew where the seeds was, that's how they regrew that because seeds is very important, you know, and and th- there's stories that goes beyond that, and just something that that we tell the story to the to, to the younger generation, and we have to take care of the land, you know, at the same time, and I think that, I mean for me that's the way I I see things in that direction, you know, more. Um,
0: What's happening in this world today? There's something interesting in there. Uh, You're talking about passing down stories as part of like an oral tradition. Um, Maybe my history is wrong here, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I know that for Mesoamerican societies, historians and archaeologists have been able to recover vessels, and within the vessels, there are very old remnants of like cacao, and that's how they knew that cacao was stored and even used as currency and was something that was very important. In in doing your work in preserving the information about these foods and these recipes, is it difficult to compile all that information given that you're relying on an oral tradition and maybe something that's not already written down for you?
2: So I'm going to interject there, but... um the point that you're bringing up is that oral traditions have never been validated as being scientific Mm. and they're absolutely scientific just because they're oral and not written down. Writing something down is very Western. uh, They still hold validity and there's still a lot of science Mm. in that. And we call that science T-E-K and that stands for traditional ecological knowledge, knowledge, and belief systems that are passed down through songs and stories and recipes, uh, planting techniques, harvesting techniques. And what myself and some other academics have really worked hard to do is to validate that oral science and bring it to the same level equal to its Western counterparts so that the two can work together in tandem, and that one doesn't have precedence or uh, value over the other, that they both have an intrinsic value that is very important and revered uh, in an academic setting, so that it's not only an archeological dig to find information, it's also going back and looking at the oral tradition of how was the cacao Brought and why is it in the vessels that exist in what is now Chaco Canyon? Mm-hmm. And there are oral stories around that. So there is a science that uh, this TEK that I teach when I when I teach on the college level at the Institute of American Indian Arts and and when we do some of our teachings and we work with other academics that this has validity and that validity is equal. To the writing down, and I mean, we just did a cookbook, and it's so interesting because uh, Walter cooks intuitively, and so you know what what is what do we have, and then he'll make a recipe. So if we have chives, maybe he'll add chives or wild onions, and if we don't, he'll add more garlic. But you know, when you're writing a, a recipe book, you have to have a recipe that works and it's one way. So every time he would cook intuitively and change it, I would be like, okay. So now we have to just change the recipe, and then we have to test it again to make sure that the intuitive way that we did it, what's available, right? Maybe what's at farmer's market, or what's That's how we cooked for you today, Mm. intuitively. We went to farmer's market yesterday. What did we have? What do we have, um, you know, that we can use? And so uh, it's much different. You know, writing a recipe book is, um, or a cookbook, is much different (coughs) than how it actually oh. is because there is that little bit of variance or change based on seasonality or what's available. So, you know, there are different worlds and I think Walter and I have had to learn how to exist in both of these worlds.
1: You know, I want to go back to where we were talking about earlier and, um, you know, I was telling you about the corn stew you know, because it wants to be the corn stew. It wants to be with that. The way, simple as it is, if you try to add whatever it is, it loses the flavor of what it was supposed to be. You know, the way I look at it too. How come they always make that stuff at the ceremony exactly the same thing? And always go, oh, man, that stays with me. And I did that, you know. And... I'm gonna change this. I want to make a different flavor. Let's see what happens. Then I did that. The flavor is gone. Mm. It's gone. And it won't, it's what it is, what it is. That's why it's been passed down from generation to generation. And it's it's the medicine of what it is. You know, it's it's that. That's the way it comes. That's the way it was. Who knows why? But this is just the way. It's made. It's like a petroglyph, you know. It stayed on that wall in the handprint. It's just like that. That's one thing I, I realized about food. Then, okay, I'm going to try the other way. I want to go back to the old ways, how they did it. And there it is. The flavor came back. And I said, okay, I'm not going to mess with it. So I'm gonna leave the way it is. Respect that, you know. That's, that's something that I, how I understand food, you know.
0: You each made me think of something. Um, I've taught social studies, Lois. I was in school to become a teacher 15 years ago. Um, So maybe this has changed since then. But back then, for middle school students, for them to understand a civilization, and I'm putting that in air quotes because this is an audio program, there were like seven factors, right? And one of those was a writing system. And quite appropriately, I had kids who were like, okay, well then that means that like almost every... African civilization is not technically a civilization because there's not like a written history that we have of those people and now as history and and even archaeology continue to develop and change we're discovering more and more civilizations that were like buried under cataclysmic events and things like that um, that is completely throwing that idea to the side and I think that's sort of to your point of like there's you didn't say this but I'm saying this there's almost like a racist element to that sort of like Eurocentric view of what a civilization is. Um, But but you made me think of something, Walter, in in sort of like the food wanting to be what it is in these uh, older ways of, and techniques of cooking. I think of something like nixtamalization as absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean so that people understand that it's a way of processing, and correct me if I'm wrong, the dried corn that makes the niacin more bioavailable, uh, reduces or completely eliminates toxins, and texturally makes it more pliable to become something like a tortilla.
2: And but it also adds nutrients. So, you know, um is actually uh, coming from the linguistic Nahuatl uh, root. But, you know, when you get into the tribes here in the north... And on the east coast, uh, you know, we use ash, and that ash has uh, minerals um, including phosphorus, manganese, magnesium, zinc, uh, and calcium. And um, there was a student at Northern Arizona University um, who's Navajo, and he was looking at his own traditional foods and he quantified that one gram. So let's give a visual for that about the equivalent of a paper clip. one gram of culinary ash and the Navajos use juniper other tribes might use the four-wing saltbush or the chemisa um or even some wood ash if you're on east coast and but for the juniper ash when it was quantified it had this so one gram about the paperclip, had the equivalent in calcium as an eight-ounce glass of milk. And so Native people never needed the dairy that the U.S. government came in with great force and said, you guys need to have milk powder and you need milk. And the truth of it is, um, Walter and I don't do very well with dairy at all, Uh, neither one of us. Um, Many Native people don't. Um, But we never really needed dairy like other European dairy societies because we used ash. And that ash is also, so ash corn is the north version. Nixtamalization is the southern term for preparing corn to get the skins off so that you have the inside. And yes, that ash, that alkaline, uh, adds nutrients and that those nutrients. So then that masa or that corn can be used in a soup or a stew. Uh, it's called hominy. Um, in some parts of the United States, it's called pasoli here in New Mexico. Uh, and, um, it could also be ground and then used as a masa for a tortilla or a tamale, or it can be dried and ground into a powder and then reconstituted later. So there are many different ways of using that one type of corn, if you want to use the term nixtilization, um, they uh, It originated from lime, probably from limestone. The grinding stones were limestone in the South. Uh, but here it was always adding the ash. Uh, and that ash, you know, cooking with it, changes the color of corn, it adds the nutrients. So we use it all the time. And in the new cookbook, we do have a recipe for ash corn. Uh, We talk about nixtilization. we make tortillas, we make tamales, we make um, kneel down bread, Uh, we make mush with ash. So there are a lot of recipes featuring uh, the use of this very sacred material that um, the grandmas still make and uh, now they're selling on their website so that everybody can buy it and use it and get those nutrient benefits. What I think is so cool
0: about that is we mentioned social sciences, right? Um, And that sort of European or or Western idea of social sciences, this, you know, we're talking about chemistry here. (laughs) If we're talking about something that's alkaline, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that too is just, I guess I also had blinders on because when I was initially thinking of this, I was like, well, how did people know back then, right? As if like, well, they didn't have an understanding of science, but... Yeah, it's not the Eurocentric view of science.
2: They had a total view of science, and there there is an example of TEK. Mm. So that traditional knowledge that uses science, that gives validity to that science, that is native science uh, and oral is okay. Mm. And it's absolutely equal to any other kind of science. Mm -hmm. Grandma, Your grandma made ash. I mean... Walter and I make ash, or or we buy ash, or we trade ash. Um both men and women make ash, right? Uh we, we got some Hopi ash from Chabon, who's Wilmer Kavina, a dear, dear, dear friend that we've worked with and, and love his family. His his mom did a beautiful cookbook very early in the eighties, mm-hmm. I think before anybody. She was a home ec teacher and she wanted to document the recipes. So she's one of my food heroes, Juanita Tiger yeah. Kavina and the Covina
1: family. I always launched, uh, I love to launch the people that work. I remember the people that work in the kitchen on the reservation, um, going boarding school on the res. Those are the ones that, you know, launched us in that direction and in and, and the Western way of education, you know, combining with, I think when it all started happening, probably back in the 70s, slowly, you know, because people were educated by then. And then... Start developing the the recipe by from getting that uh, government ration food, and they wanted to make their own way of what can we do with this um, food that they give us? I think that's when I started to notice that i, I was good for them, you know maybe it was not really a healthier way mm-hmm. but in a different way, but still we got caught into where. Of course, everything was all, certain things was sugar, you know, um, lard and stuff like that, you know, combining with that. But somewhere we got caught in, we got too comfortable with that food. And combining with, into the native food, look what happened. and obese, diabetic, and the list goes on, you know. And I think back, that's when I, you know, when you realize... Some of the food it stays the same it's what it is it's been branded that way you know the corn the, why do you always see that corn at the ceremony with with um with the lamb with steamed corn you know that they that la will last you a, a year or two in a dry place you know it' still it will never the flavor will never go away it'll stay What it you know the, from the steamed corn on um Dig in the pit. That's where how they steam the corn, you know, with other other stuff, and you know, like like salmon up north. The way they did it, that's how it meant to be. And whatever it is, we try to bring into the west um, commercial kitchen. Some of the things will work. Some of the things it won't. So that's one thing I I noticed that
2: some don't translate. Yeah. They 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 refuse to be prepared in the modern kitchen and. We have to honor and respect that. Mm -hmm. We have to uh, say, okay, we'll only make you in this context, outside or on a stone with a fire or however, in a pit, however it's supposed to be made. And then some can be modernized or things can be substituted. You know, um, when we did the kneel-down bread, we use an oven. You know, modern is to use an oven. It's always been cooked in a pit, but, oh, it was delicious. So... Uh, but you
1: never, you know, beat outside cooking. Right. That's the more,
2: right.
1: has the more flavor of it from that smoke,
0: from that, I don't know, something different. Yeah, It feels like in some ways in this country and globally, there's a, a bit of a cultural awakening. It's going through uh, a lot of resistance. Um, but I'm curious about something, and let me try to organize these thoughts in my head. Um, I've traveled extensively throughout Southeast Asia and Asia in which there are uh, food cultures that are much older than, you know, food culture in the United States because uh, there were countries and and civilizations that were there a lot longer than, again, like European intervention into the United States. Um, And there's this interesting juxtaposition of like an appreciation for... Older cultural cuisine, but sort of the coolness of Western chains. Whereas, like, if if I'm in the streets of Saigon and I'm like, wow, I can get this incredible, delicious banh mi that's made by somebody who's been doing this for 50 years, and my friends who are there are like, no, let's go to Pizza Hut, and I'm like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> so, so I'm wondering um, if with Younger Native Americans, if there is um, that sort of situation where there's coming up against, you know, like Western culture and cuisine and, and wanting that versus something that is uh, an older cultural element of their culture. Um, or if you're seeing, like I said, as part of this awakening, that there's a a greater focus on uh, sharing these uh,
2: native traditions. That was a very long and convoluted way of saying this. I think it's all over. We worked with the uh, U.S. State Department um, uh, and we did a virtual presentation with uh, Indonesia. And Indonesia has many, many islands and many, many traditions. And, you know, just like what is happening with Native. The younger generation is very fascinated with the West and the Western food and fast food and changing. And they did this whole presentation on why you should listen to your grandma and why you should perpetuate her cooking. And I think it's happening all over the world that there's uh, an awakening and there's an impetus and there's an importance to keep alive and they're not writing down their recipes either in indonesia it's all oral mm. it's all how being shown how to do it so if grandma passes on without showing you you can't i mean literally walter and i always talk about it takes one generation for a language a recipe a story a song an agricultural tradition a planting method to disappear if Each generation, and we always go in fours, so child, adolescent, middle-aged, and elder, if it's not passed down, then it can't perpetuate. And so these oral traditions globally, in Indonesia, as we learned, um, and here with our native communities, (gasps) uh, has to be passed on. And some of the youth is embracing it, and some of the youth is is not. I, I think it's important... Uh, to have role models. I think it's important to have examples. I think it's important to make it okay to be a chef. You know, when Walter first started, men didn't really cook, mm. only women. But once we won the James Beard Award, the grandmas kind of shifted and we're like, oh, okay, my grandson's a chef. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's one of the first Native American men to Really make a mark, you know. And now we see this other generations in people in their 40s and 30s and 20s. Um, but you know, uh, Walter and I, we don't consider ourselves elders. We're junior elders, <laughs> elders in training. We're we're at that age where we're getting out of the you know middle age and moving into elder, but we're not elders yet. And uh, you know, we were we were definitely pioneers. In, in this movement, because uh, there was nobody doing it, and now there is, and that's good, and that's—I guess—that's the legacy that we want to leave behind. Why don't you add something to that wall?
1: Well, for me, the way what, what you just said—I mean, why do you want to eat pizza? while well, you're in a different country, right? <laughs> to me, it's like I want to taste their food—the Russian, the Ukraine. I wanted to see not only that, the clothing, the way they talk, the way the culture is. That's what I'm interested in, you know. I want a flavor. I want to maybe, I I want to peek in there and take some of that. If they can share that with me, I'll give and share too the same way, you know. I think that the way I look at things, like I want to go to, like we have this group that comes from all over. And I always tell people, why do you want to eat your what you've been eating less f- from your home? Try something different. Taste something different. See something different. Smell something different. Hear something different, you know? Get the feeling of the culture here. Because wherever it is that you're coming from, it's there. But this is something different that you wanted to experience that that you're going to remember. Who knows what? Maybe you might take some of that and make, make it into something else, you know? And that for me, that's the way I, I look at it. From, and uh, the younger generation, I see maybe the, the beginning to understand that culture is very important to hang on, but what, what can you, how can you make it stay alive, you know, to, to, to keep that thing and the clothing, the stories, everything being part of it's what it is. And maybe you can change things a little. It's okay. Don't be I always tell. Don't be afraid. That's why I play with that corn. Let's see what happens. Oh, no. And I realize, oh, the food does that too. And that makes me like, okay, up north, you know, the salmon. That's the way it's always been done. Who knows who came up with this grandma's way back, the generation? It's part of the ceremony. That's part of it. It's what it is. It heals people, and they launch on. And it's a feast, right, you know? Something to be thankful. And then, you know, how that that makes us, we wanted to plant more corn. That makes us, we wanted to raise, take care of the animals. You know, they have feelings too, you know? Take care of it, love it, you know. I think that's, that's the key to that. Instead of like, who knows what they go through at the, you know, the, at the slaughtering, they cry and all that, you know. And you, when you see and feel that, you're like, oh my gosh. And that's what we eat. It looks what, look, what's happened to us. And, and in a native way, before we take an animal down, we, make, we respect that animal, we pull that hair. Then release it, then it you know, it allows so it it's okay. This is the best time of my life, and this is my worst day. see mm-hmm. All the years that Lois always um educate people in, in that way. So there's always a teaching in it. That's the way I I see I just want to add that on to my on my native side, what how we look at things, you know.
0: There's a bunch of things in there I need to unpack. Um, I want to ask you, you mentioned, Walter, Ukraine in there. And when we were having our wonderful breakfast before, you were telling me about when you went to the Ukraine as culinary ambassadors. I was wondering if you both could just share that experience and some of the commonalities you saw between uh, Native American culture and what was going on in the Ukraine.
2: Uh, Well, it was definitely life... Uh, altering, you know, we we, um, went uh, to a lot of different parts. We went to western Ukraine and worked with the uh, Hutzel people and um, realized that they're sheepherders and a lot like the Navajo weavers. I mean, we could have been on the Navajo Nation when we were there. And the wild foraging of the foods and we did, um, you know, exhibitions and we did shows and we did uh, meals and, and we cooked, but we were also shared meals. And, uh, you know, some of the foods were a little foreign. Others were right there with us. Uh, teas made from berries and wild um, pine needles and wild mushrooms, you know, and then cheese that they shaped into animals, um, you know, we don't eat a lot of cheese, so it was very, very strong. But, you know, pretty much every family had a, a, a dairy cow, and they used the milk and the the milk to make cheese or yogurt. Uh, we looked at a lot of wild greens, and we ate trout and uh, fish as well as meat. Um, it was amazing. We saw these incredible weavings and the traditional dress. And then we went to, you know, Kiev, and we did a exhibit, and we cooked... In an urban setting for 250 people, um, they they, uh, they thought of us as having very spicy food. And there's a really funny story because the chili didn't make it to one of the events, so we just used bell pepper. And there were like 17 TV stations there, and they all said, "Oh, and the Native Americans, you know, they it's very spicy." And we laughed because there was no spice in it, but because they had thought that there was spice it they tasted the spice but we didn't the chili really didn't make it oh, wow. uh, to that specific event you know so it's all how it's contextualized and and how we view and you know the preconceived um the, the the way you preconceive something you know and then um uh when we were in Russia we made tamales and you know why would you ever eat a tamale if you were in Russia you wouldn't and so, through translation, we really had to say, you know you you take the outside off. You don't eat the outside, right? You eat the inside. The outside is is how it's cooked. And um, not only did we feed you know over a hundred diplomats um, in uh, St. Petersburg, which is one of the most gorgeous cities I've ever been to, anyway, we um, we also fed the staff and the security and um, you know they ate a little later so they didn't hear the translation and I remember seeing a couple of the security guys about to put the whole tamale in their mouth and I went up and I was like no 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 no, no. we don't eat the outside peel it we eat the inside and you know I think the lesson is that we're so much more alike than we are different mm-hmm. um, we all eat and we all learn from each other and you know the, the grandmothers are the ones passing on the tradition in both Ukraine and Russia. And we were treated like family. Mm-hmm. And we were treated oh, yeah. with love and respect. And, you know, those diplomacy through food is, is amazing because, um, you know, when you break bread, you're, you're family. And then you have to be able to talk to family. Uh, even during a a place of disagreement. And and I think it it mends. It's a way of uh, all sitting at the table and maybe being enemies when you start, but being family when you end. Hmm. That's amazing. You want to add?
1: Well, in the Né, I guess the word is the, the, the Navajo culture and the Ukraine... What I realize, and Lois talks about the the animal, the dairy, and in our ways, it's more sheep, you know, and how they, someone has to be sitting out there with that cow. You know, you can't get away from it. You got to kind of hurt it, you know. They're on, on a chair way in the field. It's like, wow, this is like same way that we hurt sheep. Someone has to attend that, you know, because they use the the milk and we use the meat and everything nothing goes to waste you know we use everything and I thought that was unique about it's not only that it's not only the food that the 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 artwork of um what they what we use in our rugs the similarity to a Navajo design interesting and then one day we were way up in the mountain I saw this, we call it home, that we call a hogan. It's a circle, octagon, I guess, in that form. And I, to my left, a corner of my eye, I saw that. And I look over there, I said, oh my gosh. And the guy that took us uh, on a road trip, he's been there, who knows how many times, two people. He says, I've never seen that. I never. And in some way, with that culture with the with the, we we're up in the mountain too and then and with the, with the, with the sheep and the, at the sheep camp and how they ate i thought that was a similarity to you know and it, it was a, a big educational for me when i when i saw that you know i thought that was that wow you know it's, there's similarities here and there and that made us uh, who we are that we learn from each other you know and then I, I taste the, the, the animal of, you know, the sheep and, then, and the flavor of it, how they work with their food and all that. And then, you know, we are similarity. What grows here, it grows there. And what we use, there's a bird that we use um, in our ceremony. It's a magpie bird. And I saw that there. I said, oh, my gosh, you know, here we are, we're away from, and everything grows here, everything's here, and the the, the culture's here, you know? And I thought, huh, and just something the people shared, and it didn't matter the color, what it was, and we had a big old huge feast, and people came. What food did is brought us all that people together mm. and to share. And uh, I believe that's that's how food does. You know, you you learn from it.
0: I was thinking about animals because, in my I guess like rudimentary understanding from my public school education, like we learned about the three sisters, but uh, in a very surface level way. But we also learned that um, indigenous groups were hunters, be it deer, bison, buffalo, bear, um, and we learned that there really wasn't waste, food waste or, you know, the waste of the resource. Now, often when people go to restaurants and stuff, they want like the choicest cut of meat. Uh, but through traveling, I've learned that um, cultures all around the world make use of organ meat, bones, uh, tendon. And often you do that through like a stew or a soup because you can cook it, cook it, cook it, cook it until all that flavor is extracted from it. Um through your research or your understanding of uh Native American food and techniques, have you come across anything like that um using like what nowadays we call like nose to tail cooking, whole animal cooking?
1: Yeah, you know, we what I seen out there was like nothing went to waste. Mm. Everything we use, like this, and in and in, and in Navajo traditional ways, a lot of people, are, what do you do with the skin? But there's food in it. It's not only the wool, but the skin. There's certain ways that you peel it off, that hair. I've seen that. I've seen it done over and over, growing up. And the skin... Then they cut it, either they fry it or they do it on the, on the, on the charcoal or they put it in their um, beans, make a stew out of it. And that, that really struck me to where it's like, wow. You know, there's something that I that I um, that stays with me, nothing goes to waste. And there's there's always stories around it, you know, when you're eating and then there's songs that goes with it to appreciate, you know. And just something that I, that I, that I've been learning because I wanted to understand more. As little as it is, it's been shared with me by other people that I was very, I'm very fortunate to, to learn that, um, you know, I wanted to be, be part of it. I wanted to be there and to experience it, not just, you know, just to watch, but working with it, you know. And that's something that I, um, I'm very interested in that way.
0: I'll I'll, I'll wrap soon because I know I've kept you for a while. Um, But I was wondering about food producers and farmers. We've talked a lot about corn. I saw a while back a documentary called King Corn, and in that they pointed out that there's like a couple like monocrop corn companies who are like the major subsidized companies in the United States, which then keeps wealth in very few hands. Is there a network of Native American food producers and farmers that people can learn about and support?
2: Yeah, um, there's, uh, I was just talking to uh, Clayton Brascope, and he is um, uh, the uh, original founding member of the Uh, which is uh, the Native American Farmers Association, and there's the um, intertribal agriculture, and there are quite a few organizations now that um, are working uh, to perpetuate indigenous foods and indigenous seeds. Um, You know, I'm very local-focused, so I don't know on a national level everything that's going on, but I know there's a lot going on. And, um, you know, locally we have uh, Tezuki Farms, and I work with Amigdio Bayon, who's actually Quechua, and he's the head of agronomy for that pueblo. And we buy corn and cornmeal from Tamaya, which is Santa Ana Pueblo, and I work with the um, agricultural directors there on the farm to buy the corn, which is then milled, which then we use, and we work with uh, our local farm and farmers at the Santa Fe Farmer's Market and buy a lot. Uh, from them, you know, from potatoes. At this time of year, we're we're still using um, what you know what is wintering over, and then we'll start with the greens again, and we'll start with the sprouts and the microgreens, and then we'll go into zucchini and tomatoes and and corn. But yeah, there are organizations, and you know, uh, Ramona Farms is another good example in in Southern Arizona that are they brought back their indigenous tepary bean, Bobby, and um, you can buy directly from them. Or you can buy, you know, from a retailer, um, uh, including us, that sells their beans uh, to help promote them. So there, there is a network. I think it's, um, you know, working. Um, uh, I know I have a source guide in my new book. I have a source guide in my old book. And we're really helping to promote, uh, you know, the small farms, the mom and pop who gathers the tea and um, keep alive some of these, uh, you know, if there's economic viability, then it continues to happen. It's when the economics stop. So, like, the hand-harvested wild rice in Minnesota would be another um, good example. And and the tepary beans and the local corn. And the more that you can buy native, uh, the more that you perpetuate... The Native people staying on their indigenous land and doing what they've always done, which is either farm or cultivate or prepare or gather uh, whatever food source that is. So I, I would really encourage, um, you know, um, all of your listeners, certainly, to uh, try and buy Native mm. and support that and, and the Native farms and, uh, you know. Walter and I have dedicated our life to this mission, so we're always available, and you can reach out and ask us questions and contact us, and we'll help you however you can on your journey. But there's room for everybody, Uh and the more we all do this, the better, because the the commercial farming is not sustainable, and it's not for the well-being of the animals and the plants, and we need to make changes, and what better way than with your purse strings, mm. you know, if everybody stopped buying GMO corn that you saw in, in, in that King Corn documentary, then that farm has to shift. So yeah. we do have power, and we have a lot of power. And um, I would encourage everybody to get involved, everybody to participate. We call this the Native American food movement. And there's room for, for all of you. There's room for everyone to participate. And so join us. On this journey and participate with us in perpetuating ancestral knowledge and indigenous cuisine and cultural education and the foods. I love Uh, it. And there's room for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right?
0: Yeah. While here in New Mexico, to get the full New Mexico experience, um, where's a place that I and, and listeners need to go or a certain dish that they need to try?
1: I don't really say much for you, but only...
2: Uh, I always base, you know, where you go on how you want to dress and what you want to spend. There are tons of delicious restaurants and tons of talented chefs mm-hmm. and tons, you know, cooking classes at the Santa Fe School of Cooking. We teach there. Mm-hmm. Take our native class. Uh, call us to do a private catering for you and your friends or go out to restaurants. The more that you expose yourself to, the the more... Um, that you'll learn and the more you learn um, the more comprehensive your understanding is Mm -hmm. I mean you've traveled and you said I learned so much from traveling so go as many places as you can Uh, taste as many different kinds of foods as you can Um, there's no one place blend
1: in in. be part of it
2: Yeah. well said Um, how can people find
0: out more about your work or purchase your books or sign up for one of those classes how can they find you
2: so we do have a, a website, uh, RedMesaCuisine.com, R-E-D-M-E-S-A-C-U-I-S-I-N-E.com. And we're also on Facebook. You can see what we're doing there. Uh, the Santa Fe School of Cooking lists our native classes. And um, uh, I am on Instagram. I'm not as great on Instagram yet, but I'm, I'm really working hard uh, to, to, to work on that. But yeah, probably our website is the best yeah. way. Uh, and then reach out You know, send us an email give us a call and um, happy to help however we can
0: well I have uh, great respect for the work that both of you are doing Uh, me as a 15 year old kid sort of envisioning what my life would be as an adult um, I've surpassed that I'm able to have these amazing conversations with people all around the world so just thank you so much for having me here and for doing this
1: well I want to end with the song here oh that would you would understand
0: that'd be amazing
1: you know I mean you have to like I say, it's not only talk you you ha- you have to experience something else too bad you didn't, you didn't um you know if we had a, whatever is is happening, you would have taste the food too, you know, yeah. and then you would understand further, but that's a another time you know there's a there's a reason why they always the native way is like there's always a reason why it, you Anyway, I just want to share the song with you. It's the, you know, at the end, we always, when we do an event, at the end, we always close with the song. And like in a native way, nothing goes to waste. The hide, the horn, like I was telling you about, you know, nothing goes to waste. We utilize everything, whatever it is that we don't um, use, we'll take it back to the, uh, on a hill or on a mountain. Share it with the animals, you know, and we share it with others to be able to get to eat too. So anyway, I'm gonna uh, sing a little song for you.
3: Hey 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 Hey, yo
0: all right voyagers that is a wrap on my first episode from new mexico this one is with lois ellen frank and walter whitewater thank you so much to them for having me Uh, i got to see the actual kitchen where they record in i had a delicious breakfast with them and i got to learn all about them and the work that they do and i feel so fortunate to be doing what i'm doing thank you voyagers for tuning in Stay tuned in because there's going to be more episodes coming shortly from New Mexico. All right, everybody, signing off for now. As always, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon.